0: Another Tap is live for Monday. It is May 1st. We're going to talk about key takeaways from the Green Bay Packers draft this weekend, different things that came up throughout the three days. We'll go over it all. We'll kind of get ourselves ready for the start of next season. It's really exciting. Um, I think it was a pretty good draft and we'll talk about that in more detail today. got a ton of NBA stuff to cover. Uh, We're going to talk about the Boston Bruins losing last night and why it's more significant than the Milwaukee Bucks. We're also going to talk about the tragic bud news. How do we deal with that? And with the last few few games of the season, we'll kind of talk about a second round hater guide as well. Uh, What you should watch, what you shouldn't watch, how do you cope? Uh, We'll get into that. And then we'll wrap up with the Brewers. I saw Trout and Otani in person. I'll talk about what that was like. I'll also do a Golden Kegs for the homestand. And we are out. So that'll be today's show. We're off tomorrow. Um, and then we'll have shows the rest of the week. Mitch joining me on Thursday for Tapping the Kegs. or a normal Wednesday. So Wednesday. Well, we tape it Wednesday night. Um, and then we're, we do it live on Thursday. So stay tuned for that. I uh, hope you guys get excited for that. And that will be. What we're looking at this week, we have a little more flexibility, obviously, with our Milwaukee Bucks not playing. So we're kind of getting into, I wouldn't necessarily say the dog days, but definitely opportunities to have some fun. So if you have some suggestions on what we could do, I'm all ears. Uh, Tapping the Keg on Twitter, tapping the Keg Sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok. I will take those suggestions. We're also on Facebook. You can message me there, too, if you you so please. Uh, If that's your uh, vehicle of messaging. Uh, we can do that there as well. Uh, Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. If you are not, uh, if you're joining us because you saw that Tucker Craft video I did over the weekend on TikTok, did pretty well. Uh, We are on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're wherever else you get your podcast. Overcast, I know plays really well. Podcast Attic, I think is another one that I've seen statistics for. Uh, best month we've had in the last 12 months. Uh, we beat March's numbers and April was better. Uh, so really appreciate that. Uh, appreciate all the support. The listens on the pod we did with Murph on Friday was great. I'm really happy it was great because I felt like that was a great podcast. And if you haven't listened to it, uh, that's more first round. There's a lot of stuff there though where Murph and I kind of set up the next two days for the Green Bay Packers. And I think if you look back at that and then you hear what, what I say today there's going to be some similarities. It's not like we're, I'm repeating myself. There's not an overlap, but mostly I'm we're setting up the second and third days, and Murph and I both felt like we nailed the draft uh, from a Packers perspective. So that feels good. Uh, maybe means that we have more of an ear to Brian Gunakus. Maybe Brian Gutekus should hire us. I'm not sure. It's kind of like a stepbrother situation. You know, we both show up in tuxedos. We see what Gute Goot, Goot thinks and, and go from there. All right. Let's waste no more time. Uh, Let's talk about the takeaways from this year's Packers draft. I'm most famously known for saying, fuck your draft grade. Uh, I did a podcast about that, I think two years ago. Uh, I really hate draft grades. I think they're stupid uh, just because... A, there's no, and that's no pun intended, but A, there's no way to know what these guys are going to do year one. First of all, everyone's going to suck off the Eagles. I get that. Um, I, I totally understand it. I felt like the Eagles had a pretty good draft. But also B, like the Seattle Hawks had an F when they drafted Bobby Wagner. CLC Hawks have been known to be a unique drafting team, have gotten bad draft grades in the past. Now everyone liked their draft this year, but I think that's always why I don't care about draft grades. Because Bobby, the Bobby Wagner draft got an F. And Bobby Wagner was one of the best linebackers in the NFL in the last 15 years. So if, if you get an F for doing that, then it points to draft grades being irrelevant. We have no idea, right? I mean, there's a world we live in where the, everyone's like, Oh, I love Van Ness and Musgrove and uh, Kraft. And those end up not being the guys. And it ends up being like Wicks or DeBose or... Uh, I was just gonna say Sean Clifford, but probably not. Uh, who else is who else would be there? Uh, Valentine, right? Uh, the young corner we drafted. So like those guys could be the stocks. We have no idea, and so I, I think that's that's why I'm just very hesitant to be like, oh yeah, draft grades matter. Um, it's good that the Packers got a great great draft grade by some people. Some people really like the Packers draft. It was Pro Football Network had said the Packers had the best draft, uh, but. I, I still don't, like, put too much stock in it. I try not to get too excited about it. That said, I, am, I think there are stuff to take away, and I, I think there is things to really think about here as we head into next season. Uh, number one is the Packers loaded up for Jordan Love. Uh, they gave him weapons. Jordan Love already had Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson. We were worried about the depth at the skill position. I don't think that is a worry any longer. You get... Jaden Reed and Travian Wicks and th- those are and Grant Debose for that matter. I don't know if Debose is going to stick obviously a seventh round pick. I did like Debose uh, out of Charlotte. I think he was mentioned in our preview pod back uh, last Monday but still you get three guys out of the wide receiver core. You get two tight ends in Luke, Luke Musgrave. It's going to go back and forth between Musgrove, Musgrave but it's Musgrave. Uh, Luke Musgrave and Tucker Craft so you, you really do have a huge amount of skill players now. Now you have a collection of young skilled talent and that's really exciting. Um, that also means that there's going to be mistakes. There's going to be a learning curve. The Packer, it would behoove the Packers to get a veteran wide receiver in there. I think Jarvis Landry has been the name that has been floated a bunch uh, for Green Bay, uh, whether it is in free agency or a trade, right? Corey Davis somehow is still available for the New York Jets. I, I don't think the Jets would, after all the shenanigans for the last couple of months, I don't know if the Jets are gonna to wanna to do a trade, but if the Jets were to release a guy on June the 1st or before June the 1st, I think that's where the Packers will swoop in. I'm not gonna freak out that Green Bay does not have a veteran skill guy. I do expect them though to draft one um, because it would seem quite ambitious for Green Bay to go this young um, at the wide receiver and tight end position. I, I think you want veterans in there. I think tight end wise, Josiah Guerra has been there for a bit so you could qualify him as a veteran Um and maybe Josiah starting week one, right? I, I would love them to bring back Jay Sternberger. I've said that jokingly, but I'm kind of serious. He had another touchdown the other day. Like why not bring Jay Sternberger back? And then you, at least for a look, right? I, I don't, I don't want to put too much stock in the rookies, and that's my only—that's my only fear. Like Jordan Love is definitely being set up for success. I think it, we aren't going to really talk too much about the option. I want to do that on another podcast uh, this week because I think the decision has to be made Tuesday, so probably Monday, Wednesday show we'll talk about it. But I think the, it's setting up for him to get the option because they have all this young talent now. Like they have basically reset the roster and they they're building towards something now does this mean everybody's going to be great no right but it doesn't mean that there's an opportunity that there's going to be multiple talented players on this packer roster they're going to grow with the Green Bay packers absolutely um and it's something that i don't really think we've seen in a long time like it's probably since when they drafted you know the mvs jamon moore group where they drafted like three guys and sort of reset what they were doing in the wide receiver room, but Aaron Rodgers didn't necessarily respond well to that. I think Jordan Love will, you know, embrace these guys. I think he'll make it, you know, a great sort of locker room because they're all, you know, around the same age. So it's a very young roster. I mean, Green Bay went from I think one of the oldest rosters to so I think they will be the youngest roster in the NFL. Maybe Maybe a, I'm trying to think of maybe Jacksonville or Houston would be younger, but it's going to be a, it's going to be a young locker room in green Bay next year. And it's not a bad thing. Um, you're just going to need leaders to step up and I'm excited for all the weapons. I, I think all of them, you know, have a chance to do something next year. Um, I think the tight ends, especially, you know, green Bay has something set up now where they look like old school, new England Patriots. I know it's, a sensitive topic to bring up aaron hernandez remember i talked about the two tight ends with shay and i brought up aaron hernandez and he kind of scoffed at me like can't really bring up aaron hernandez i understand that right like it's not something maybe you do on like local radio but because we have a podcast you certainly could talk about it and yeah they have sort of that setup where they have the big bruiser and tucker craft more the gronk type and then you have the more Aaron Hernandez type and Luke Musgrave. And just as long as nobody's murdering anybody, I mean, that was a recipe for success for Patriots. They got the Super Bowl that way. So I, I think those guys can play day one. But I, I, again, I, I think Josiah Daguerre is going to at least get the first few snaps. And, and same goes with whenever they get a veteran wide receiver. No matter his position, whether it's a slot guy, outside guy, I think he's going to get his chance. And then let the young guys earn it. We'll just sort of have to see that. Another takeaway is the safety position remains a mystery. I don't really know exactly what they're doing there. Um, I expected them to draft a safety. I felt like there were definitely safeties on the table that I would take such as uh, Jamie Robinson, such as uh, Jordan Battle, uh, JL Skinner. Like those are all guys that I looked at and I said, all right, yeah, those make sense for Packer. Jair Brown, who went to the Penn State, Chase, uh, Sidney Brown, who went to uh, Philadelphia Eagles, like, those were all guys that I felt like could be Packers, I think it's annoying that two of them went to the Eagles and Niners, who I really liked, Um, I really like Sidney Brown, and Sidney Brown on the Eagles, I I thought that was a bigger pick for the Eagles than some of the Georgia guys I got, and it's really frustrating, uh, to say the least, that Green Bay didn't address it. Uh, it seems like Adrian Amos is going to come back, um, but is are we really going to roll out Amos and Savage? I, there were a lot of reservations from some people um, in the Packer, Packer blogging world that said, you know, Amos looked washed last year. I, I don't disagree with that. Um, I thought Amos had a pretty bad year. I think I was saying that in a lot of the pods, you know, early in the season where I was like, I don't exactly see it with Adrian Amos. Um, and maybe Green Bay is waiting for that June 1st date. And for those who are maybe... Not as big a Packer fans or don't know, but like June 1st is a cap reset day. Um, Guys get released all the time. Deals get restructured. Um, So it is a dime where, you know, free, there's like, it's kind of like a summer free agency. And it's not a big one, but some guys come available. And so I do wonder, is that what the Packers are doing? And they're waiting for that six-one day to get another safety. Maybe that's maybe that's the move. Um, but we'll have to see. Um, they not addressing it was absolutely wild um, and very, I guess, unexpected. And it definitely puts pressure on Savage. It put pressure. It puts pressure on if Amos comes back. Uh, but we'll have to see what the Packers have up their sleeve. They do have some cap room now too, so they could make a deal. But they don't really have a lot of roster spots. I mean, they drafted fucking thirteen guys. Like they they do not have a ton of room to just be adding more people. So that's that's the other part. Unless they're, you know, releasing dudes or whatever, but yeah, it's it's going to be very interesting to see what they do at that safety position because it's not been addressed. It's still it's still sort of hanging out of the balance. Now, the other thing I guess if you want to, you know, be on the more positive side and less negative is Greg Williams not the not the uh, Bounty Gate, Greg Williams, is their new defensive backs coach. And he he might see something in Savage, see something in Amos, and say, oh, I can fix this. I uh, see what happened here. I see why this went wrong. I think we can fix this and, you know, make it better. And maybe that's part of it, right? Or maybe he sees, uh, you know, Rasul Douglas playing safety. I don't like the Rasul Douglas safety. I think Rasul Douglas is better as a corner. Uh, but maybe that's something they, they see. Or if Eric Stokes, you know, has He's pretty small to play safety. I don't think Eric Soaks can play safety. I was going to suggest that. But I don't know. I, maybe there's something there that we just don't know. I think that, ha- that has to be thought about. That we just are not in the know on what they're going to do safety-wise. But it seems like that's going to be the weak spot of this team heading into the year. At least right now. If it, but the season doesn't start today, as we're, as was reminded when the Packers did draft a wide receiver in the first round. Like, the season does not start on Sunday. It starts in literally uh, four plus months. Number three in terms of takeaways, uh, the Packers are great on the offensive line. So there was a thought that the Packers would draft an offensive lineman in the first round, that they would draft David Bakhtiari's replacement. Um, that they would, you know, get a guy like Skoronsky or Darnell Wright. Antoine Harrison was mentioned as a potential Packer, and Green Bay obviously drafted Louis Van Ness. Now, Wright and Skoronsky were both taken. People thought, okay, Packers might get another might get an offensive lineman, you know, next couple rounds, maybe a Cody Motch. Joey gets taken actually at the spot where the Packers were drafting. They ended up trading down uh, twice in the second round to get Jaden Reed. Um, And with that said, uh, I look at that and I'm not exactly surprised that they didn't take an offensive lineman. Um, I think it's the first time in a long time that Green Bay hasn't taken an offensive lineman. But I look at their lineman room and I, I think they're in a pretty good spot. And I kind of mentioned this when we were ranking like draft needs. Uh, this was before I did it with Murph, but I like, it was draft takes or some some pot I did where I was like, I'm not sure they need an offensive lineman. Like I, I didn't exactly understand offensive lineman in the first round. I was like, oh, David Bakhtiari replacement, But I'm like, I don't know if the Packers feel comfortable with David Bakhtiari. Why get rid of David Bakhtiari? Like David Bakhtiari is a legend at the left tackle position. Now, it's Packer, and, it, and he, he looked the part. Like, he looked okay last year. Like, why get rid of that? I understand the contract's massive, but with the new love contract, you probably could restructure it. Could you figure out something? And Bakhtiari, you know, is a leader of this team. Josh Nyman, they didn't move from. If they decided to trade Josh Nyman because they drafted somebody, I, I guess I could understand that. But Josh Nyman's pretty solid. The other option, too, is release Bakhtiari, sign Nyman to a big deal. I personally would rather keep Bakhtiari. I think Josh Nyman, you know, is is okay. Um, But he's he's definitely had some moments where it doesn't make you think that he is a legit, like, premier $90 million offensive tackle, which he's going to get paid like that because that's all offensive tackles get paid like because offensive line work is at such a premium. So I I think knowing that Green Bay was pretty okay tackles-wise, They didn't really feel the need to say, all right, we need to go out and waste draft capital on an offensive lineman because we kind of already have what we want from a lineman position. And some have already hinted at maybe we will see Josh Nyman or Zach Tom, whoever loses out that battle, be sort of the sixth tackle, sort of the Mercedes Lewis spot, and they will do that. You know, They did that in the past with Ricky Wagner, and maybe that's something that we see again. Their inside is still a little questionable on the center and right guard. Well, Runyon's pretty solid at right guard. Josh Myers, I'm still unsure about. I think that that would have been the spot that I would have taken taken some advantage of. I would have made Josh J- Josh Myers work for that center position and drafted you know a guard-center combination. Uh, but they feel comfortable, and they're going to ride it out. I will also say this with the offensive line. What the Packers had at offensive line, you know, with Aaron Rodgers might be different than what they need with Jordan Love. And maybe that's something that they need to see out on the field. Maybe you know, Brian Gudicus, I trust with the offensive line. He that's how he started. That's how he cut his teeth. He was an offensive lineman scout. So maybe Gudicus is like, all right, I need to see these guys out there with Jordan Love. And if there's a problem with how you know they do it, or you know, we're more of a run first team, but I'm just using him as an example running can't really run block the way we want to, next year we're going to have to maybe address that and draft a guard. So there you go. Um, also too, worth considering, like they have some backups that, besides Nyman, like Sean Ryan was a third round pick last year. I know he had third round curse, all that bullshit. But Sean Ryan like is there, you know, as a backup guard. Uh, Rashid Walker was a massive talent, right? He was a five-star recruit. Um, he's still there as a seventh rounder at the tackle position. Caleb Jones is massive. Another massive tackle still on this team. I, again, I'm unsure about the center position. Jake Hansen I thought was terrible last year. You know how I feel about Royce Newman. Uh, but yeah, they're, I mean, they're guys. So we'll we'll have to see. Um, they also, you know, have a couple other tackles as well. So like, I think Green is in a good, good position offensive line-wise. So I think the more I talk about it, the least, the less surprised I am that they didn't go after a tackle in this position. Number four is no excuses for Joe Barry. Uh, Joe Barry has everything here. Joe Barry is set up to succeed. If Joe Barry doesn't succeed, it will be his fault because he has a really talented defense now. Like you have edge rushers out the ass. You have Van Ness. You had a Carl Brooks. I really love. I really like Carl Brooks. I think Carl Brooks might end up being Green Bay's best pick in terms of value, in terms of what they got. Like I I think Carl Brooks can contribute day one. I think he's a monster. Um, I'm really excited about Carl Brooks. And so you have Brooks and Van Ness on the front. You had Cody Colby, you want to say Cody, but it's Colby Wooden um, at defensive lineman. I was worried about his size. He was at 273. I said in the review, like Tampa Sports, if you missed it, where I was like, this guy needs to add, you know, Wisconsin diet. You need cheese curds, you need the, the burgers. And he's already 283. He said, right, I already gained 10 pounds. I'm like, great, set, perfect. Um, and you added, you know, linebacker, you know linebackers, you, you've been set. Corners you've been set, like the it the path is clear here for the Green Bay Packers to succeed defensively. They have a ton of talent on this defensive line, and they need they need to play. Um, they need to you know flourish here, and this is now time that the defense needs to sort of be the key cog. You need to have this defense perform well in September. There's going to be a ton of pressure on them, not only because Joe Barry kept his job, but because. Jordan Love is just getting started and you're going to need short fields. You're going to need to force some turnovers and make Jordan Love's life easier. Not let Jordan Love have to you know produce you know touchdown scoring drives to keep up because your defense is is struggling. Um, also just to clean something up safety wise. They did draft safety in the seventh round Anthony Johnson Jr. But uh, the point remains. I, seventh rounders I'll be honest is going to make me sound like an asshole. But seventh rounders really don't matter. Um, sometimes they great. You know there's for every down driver, there is a guy who's just a complete nobody, right? And the complete nobodies uh, are more more likely than others. They're pure lottery picks. So I'm not going to get all excited about a 7th round pick. I'm just not. And maybe Anthony Johnson Jr. is great. And maybe he ends up, you know, emerging as a talent for the Green Bay Packers. But I'm not going to get that excited about it. But yeah, I, this defense needs to perform. This defense just needs to do, you know, their job. And there is a lot of lot of things on the table here now for Joe Barry and Joe Barry should not have the problems they did last year and yeah I'd say it's an immense amount of pressure it really is like he has the most pressure out anyway I would argue probably a good topic for another day but I'd argue Barry has more pressure than Jordan Love heading into this season because he. If they succeed defensively, like I actually think they can make the playoffs, but they're going to need help on that defensive side of the football. They can't be one of the worst teams against the run. The corners and safeties need to play like they played the end of this season. You know, um, the linebackers need to, you know, make sure they stay disciplined. Right, Quay Walker thing. I think Quay Walker's good. I just think he gets a little too in his head. He's a little undisciplined, and I, I do think like that's going to come with time. And I hope that. You know, that sort of year two, you see a little bit less from Quay in terms of not having it all there from a mental perspective. Okay, a couple more quick takeaways and then we'll move on to a lot of the NBA things we have to talk about. Sean Clifford, I don't get that at all. Uh, That was the one pick where I was like, Jesus. And and like, I saw the spin from somebody where it was like, well, they didn't draft Sean Clifford because they think he's going to be a smart starter. Sean Clifford has a big brain. He's going to really help you know, Jordan Love from, you know, Monday to Friday and really help prepare the Packers for whoever they're playing, you know, week in, week out. That's great. Like, that on the surface sounds great. Draft had the seventh round. You had fucking four seventh round picks. Like, that's where you would take it. That's the, like, why did they take a safety spot? Is that fifth round? Like, just makes absolutely no sense to me. With Clifford. I just I, I watched a lot of Big Ten football. I watched Sean Clifford. I never once felt like Sean Clifford was an NFL player. I can't believe, not only did he got drafted, but he got drafted in the fifth round of all places. Um, does that mean that teams were higher on him and they were worried that Clifford was going to get taken? I, I mean, the quarterback, I guess, sort of timeline got bumped up because like Senson Bennett got drafted in the fourth round. Some people thought Senson Bennett might not get drafted. So maybe... That was part of it, I don't know. But I do not get the Sean Clifford part at all. It doesn't make a ounce of sense to me. Uh, last thing, and I'm, not, I'm gonna tease this because I think we'll talk about this e- either Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It'll be a podcast topic that we talk about this week. So I'm not gonna go entirely in detail. But everyone wants to talk about that the Packers are rebuilding. Um, I... I think that they are in a sense rebuilding, but I I don't think it's like the rebuild where it's like they're tearing everything down. They have the ta- table stakes. They're just redesigning, right? They are, you know, they they're in an old house, um, and they're basically, you know, putting some new youthful color into it. They're they're adding they're adding some different design work. They're putting in new rugs. They're putting in new cabinets. So they're not just starting from scratch. They're not building this house, they have the table stakes of the house. The house has some youthful charm and it's it's sort of getting there, but now they've really ramped it up. They were kind of, you know, stopgap stuff. Anyone who has owned a home relates to this, right? Where it's like, you're just doing little things to like say, all right, this looks great, but you're not going a whole hog and putting a roof on, on your house. Because you know how expensive it is. Shout out. I'm doing that on Tuesdays. I'm not, not, not looking forward to it. I'm am, I'm am very upset about it. It had to happen. But it's just, man, it hurts your wall. But that's stuff you have to do. And for Green Bay, putting a roof on it is getting a bunch of young skill talent. Getting rid of the old Rodgers regime. Getting a kicker. We didn't even talk about, you know, they're getting rid of Mason Crosby, right? They're moving on to Anders Carlson who really wasn't that great at Auburn, by the way. But Rich Misace had his brother. I will tr- trust pitch pit boss Rich in that scenario. So I don't exactly think the Packers are rebuilding. I think they're sort of retooling. And and I know some are like, well, retooling is the same as rebuilding. I think rebuilding has a nasty connotation to mean that you're going to be a six-win team. Could the Packers be a six-win team this year? For sure. It's definitely on the table. Do I expect them to be? No. I think they're going to be a anywhere from seven to ten wins. We'll have to see how the schedule works out. But I do think as long as they can ease their way into the schedule, it's not like you're playing the Chiefs week three, the Chargers week five, uh, who else they have that's tough. I think they play go to, to the Giants, the Steelers, like as long as some of those games aren't, you know, that first six weeks of the year, I think you'll be okay. Um, but I'm not gonna. I'm not just assuming that this is going to be a bad football team. And I think when you hear rebuilding, you're like, this is a bad team. Um, I, I don't believe that. And so we'll talk more about it. But yeah, I, I will just say, short answer, no, they're not rebuilding. They're just redecorating. They're redesigning, you know, what the Green Bay Packers are and what they look like under Jordan Love. And I think it's a really exciting time to be a Packer fan. I, I will say that too, to just wrap up. It's similar to you know the Milwaukee Brewers stuff this year where it's all new guys and they're going to bring a youthful exuberance to the team. And I think there's going to be just stuff that we haven't seen in a long time as Packer fans. And I think it's going to be really enjoyable. I think we're going to have a lot of fun. I think there, it's going to be frustrating. I think there are going to be moments where we doubt Jordan Love, where we wonder if Jordan Love is the guy. But I, I do think we're gonna have fun. And it's not that we didn't have fun with Rodgers, but it sometimes just felt so professional. And I think that we're gonna have a little more loose. Um, I think it's gonna make Matt Lafleur more comfortable as a play caller, I, I hope. I think he's just so wound tight. And I think there's gonna be some loosening there too. And I, I think it's going to be just a different vibe. And I think we'll all, we'll all benefit from it. Um, even if it, the success isn't exactly there year one. We'll have to see. But anyways, very good draft for the Green Bay Packers and excited to uh, see what the schedule looks like next week. And excited to kind of see this Packer team on the field. That will be entirely different than the one we've seen in the last 15 years. Moving on to the NBA. We have a lot of NBA stuff to get to. Um, We'll try to do it, I wouldn't say in rapid fire, but just do it. You know, as quick as we can. Uh, the first thing we're talking about actually is related to hockey. It's adjacent to hockey. And it's the Boston Bruins collapse on Sunday night. I actually watched the entire game of this. I, I'm not a huge hockey guy. I like hockey. I, li- I really like playoff hockey. Um, I didn't watch it a lot um, when, I was, when I started living with my wife because – I don't know. I watch so much fucking sports, you guys, and she puts up with a lot of it and she is a rock star about it. And so I really try to not necessarily watch everything. Um, I definitely don't watch any tennis majors. And so for a while I wouldn't really watch playoff hockey, but you know, she wasn't in the TV room. I was like, all right, I'm going to flip on game seven. Right. Um, I'm going to watch game seven. I ended up watching the whole thing um and the Panthers end up coming back. They were three two for the Bruins, last minute of the game. And I, I'm watching it again. I'm not a hockey guy at all. So I apologize if I sound like a novice. Pat, don't kill me. Um, but like I they couldn't clear the puck. Like it was there was a minute left. They could not get the puck out of their zone. And the Panthers just kept coming, kept coming, and sure enough, goal sneaks in. And then we had to overtime, and the Panthers get a goal. And it seemed like the Panthers had all the momentum. Like, it, it definitely seemed like the Bruins didn't really have, except for that one that went right off the top of the goalie stick, which is absurd. Um, and it would have went in had it not hit the goalie's stick. The Florida had most of the momentum. So now the Panthers get in uh, the Kraken, eliminate the avalanche. We're not really talking about that. But I think what... We are talking about is the Bruins. And the Bruins were up 3-1. The Bruins had the most regular season wins of any team in the NHL. And they're now eliminated by the Florida Panthers in round one. A Florida Panthers team that was miles away worse than the Boston Bruins. What does that sound like? Sounds like the Milwaukee Bucks and the Miami Heat. But I think what happened to the what happened to the Bruins was far worse than what happened to the Pan, what happened to the Bucks. Because they were that good. They were supposed to be the team this year. And they were supposed to be the ones that made it to the cup final, whether it was against the Oilers or against the Stars, whether, you know, well, people thought maybe the Avalanche, you know, obviously they're now eliminated, but, but people thought that the Bruins were gonna get there, at least get to the second round and, you know, face a very young, up and coming Maple Leafs team that everybody really likes, that's trying to break this curse that has such a big pressure on them. Probably the most pressure of any team you know, in the four major sports, but instead the Bruins fall apart, and they were up three-one. All they had to do was close it out at home. Didn't close it out at home. Their goalie completely shits the bed in Florida in game number six. They they change goalies. Actually works out for them. You know that goalie only allowed you know two goals until the final minute of the game. Right? He was pretty damn good. Jeremy Swayman is his name. So. They, they were all set up for success, and yet they still fell apart. They collapsed in multiple games, in multiple ways. Like, it was way worse than anything that happened to the Bucs. Like, what happened with the Bucs was a collapse, okay? Like, what happened in those fourth quarters is something that will live with me for a while. I heard Ryan Rosillo say, you know, it's haunting for Bucks fans. It is, because you're going to think about it. Like, every fourth quarter playoff now, if no lead safe. Right? You're going to have to be like, all right, make sure that you slam that fucking door shut. And yeah, maybe it's a good lesson. But I, I do think, and I, I didn't do this because I was, you know, we had so much draft stuff and it's been such a busy weekend. But I, I have thought a lot about how the Tampa Bay Lightning lost to the Columbus Blue Jackets, also, similar scenario. Awesome team, just like the Bruins. And the next year they go on and they win the Stanley Cup. And they win three, I think, of the next four Stanley Cups or something like that. They, you know, obviously had this great run of success. And then I thought about Virginia basketball, too, and losing the UMBC in the first round. Uh, and then the next year they go on and they win the national championship. I felt like that with the Bucs. I felt like, all right, why can't that happen to the Bucs? Why can't they use this as a redemption, use this as fuel, and, you know, get themselves in a better spot. And we're going to do a lot with Mitch on sort of, you know, retooling this team, rethinking this team. Um, but we want to do that later this week. So I'm going to save that. But I do think, like, this collapse by the Bruins is nothing that happened with the Bucs. Like, if the Bucs did this, I think it would be talked about in such greater... I don't think the Giannis failure stuff would have played. I think... You know, the fact that Giannis played only two and a half games, not even, right? Like he played eleven minutes that first quarter. This this series was basically without Giannis Antetokounmpo. Kubo. Giannis came in, tried to save things fourth and fifth game, was obviously not healthy. Um, they have not used the back as an excuse, which I think had this been Trey Young, I think Trey Young would they would have told like Trey Young's base can barely walk. They would it would make it so fucking dramatic. About Trey Young and the fact that they didn't do that with Giannis speaks uh, honestly to Giannis's character and not necessarily having excuses for why this Bucks team lost. I've been waiting for the Giannis is having wrist surgery or Giannis has you know got treatment on his back and things like that. But yeah, I I don't believe Giannis was healthy and so it to me like what happened with the Bucks was just bad luck, right? And then you see the Heat win last night in New York. Uh, Jimmy Butler goes down with an ankle injury. Kyle Lowry carries this team. Kyle Lowry has been dead, and all of a sudden, this Heat just this Heat team has just found it, and and they are you know this is what they they, they do in the playoffs, and they're doing it again. And so I, I'm not the more that the Heat win, the less that I'm looking like all right, this was a collapse, and somehow the Bucs ran into a hot team, which is wild because as we've said before. They were a 15-1 to one run away from not even make the playoffs. And I'm fairly convinced the Bucs would have beat the Bulls or, or the Hawks in a series. Like I, Even with a Giannis injury. If even the, even the exact same scenario happened, I don't think this would have happened to the Bucs against those teams. But it, it's clear that the Bucs were looking ahead, just like I think the Bruins were. And that's how the collapse happened. And I think it's a lesson for every great team going forward. You have to take care of business right away. You have to at least, like, I think there's a huge conversation about regular season that needs to be had. But I, I do think you need, to, you need to recognize when things are kind of sideways in the regular season and try to fix it. Like, look at Cleveland, you know, the Cavaliers, for example, and Memphis. Both teams were awful as underdogs all season. Both teams were pretty bad on the road also all of the season. And Taylor Jenkins and J.B. Vickers staff did not do anything to address those concerns. They didn't fix those. They didn't say, okay, this team looks entirely different. Now, the Warriors, who won a championship and been there before, won Game 5 and Game 7 in Sacramento. An awful road team all season. And they showed up in the postseason. Some were like, oh, they're going to figure it out in the postseason. I was dubious of that. They did. Um, and I think that's worth noting. And they figured out you know, their road issues. They, you know, Cleveland never figure out how to play as an underdog. Memphis never figure out how to play as an underdog. They need to learn that next season. The Bucks had collapse issues all throughout the year and they did nothing to fix it. That Sixers game should have been such a fucking wake up call for them, you know, and, and we should have realized, and we said it a little bit like, yeah, this is slightly concerning. It should have been a bigger panic. And looking back on that, and I'm sure if the Bruins fans, and again, I don't watch enough hockey to tell you this, but I'm sure there was something that said, well, maybe, maybe we're not okay. Maybe we, give, we do give up a lot of goals and you know we play a fast pace, but does this work in the playoffs? And so I think regular season has mattered, is probably the mattered the least it has in a long time. But I do think there are stuff where you can say, all right, we have to stop this or it's going to come back and haunt us in the playoffs. We can't just fix this. The Warriors fixed their road issues and maybe they would not have been as bad of a road team had they been fully healthy, had they had Andrew Wiggins. I don't know, maybe. Or maybe they just realized that they have to lock in and they finally did. And they turned on, they flipped on a switch before it was too late. Other NBA stuff to go over, talk about. Mike Boonholzer, unfortunately lost his brother in a car accident uh, right before game number four. Joe Varden reported that. I actually heard some of that. Um, I know you're probably like, Charlie, why didn't you why don't you break that story? Well, first of all, I don't really break people's dad people's family members dying. Like that's just not what I, I aspire to do. I'm not Adam Schefter. I don't really want to be Adam Schefter. Um, and I, I I'm very, you know, sensitive to that. Losing a family member is awful. Um, that is a, a awful thing that that has happened, right? And so I'm not in the business of wanting to do that. Now, if there was a picture, someone sent me a picture of Mike Boonholz or playing, you know, blackjack at Pato at four o'clock in the morning before Bucks Seat game five, fuck, I'm absolutely posting that, 100%. That's, that I have no problem with. Um, and that's not something I'm gonna protect Bud with because I'm sure it will come out, I'm sure it would make it to Barstool, whatever, you know? So, that's just sort of a little insight on that. But to go back to the story itself, it's obviously very sad. Um, I feel very bad, uh, but I I do also you know need to analyze this as you know an observer of the Milwaukee Bucks and someone who wanted Bud to lose his job, and some are like, well, you can't fire him now because you know how does that look? You look as about insensitive as as humanly possible. I think number one. Mike Boonholzer needed to realize that he was there in his head. You know, Mike Boonholzer was not fully, you know, thinking about the Bucks and thinking about what the Bucks were doing in the playoffs. And I understand it was down three-one. I realize everybody was all in or two-one at that point. But I think you had to hand that off to Charles Lee, and you had to at least let Charles Lee, you know, try to bring this team back. And maybe by Friday, after you went through the funeral processions, after you went and grieved, you needed to figure it out, right? Everybody's favorite show right now is Succession. I Hopefully I'm not spoiling anything. If I am, just skip like the next minute. But we've seen it on, out on TV and how a lot of the kids haven't had time to grieve and they're making irrational decisions. And so I think with Bud, like he needed to take a step back. And I don't know who to put that on. I don't know who to put that on. I don't know if I'm putting that on Bud for not realizing that. I don't know if I'm putting that on Bud's family for telling him, like, hey, you can't be the coach right now. Or if I'm putting that on John Horse and Wes Edens to say, we're we're pulling you. Like, you have to leave. And maybe, I think Bud has a lot of say in that organization. I don't think he, John Horse can kind of tell him what to do. And I think that he, pro- John might have said something to him. But as pointed out by a friend of mine, like, it's 2023. Like, no one's gonna think less of you for, you know, saying, I need to take time away from my mental health. Like, that is so important. We we champion that shit. And so for Bud to not do that, it's kind of... It's selfish, honestly. It is. I I know that sounds like an an asshole thing to say. I get that. But it it is. It's selfish. He just... He put put like trying to help and I appreciate what he was trying to do, but let's just be real here. He was not in the right mindset to coach basketball. You need to be all in. You need to have all your details. You need to be buttoned up. It's not his fault that he forgot this, but to think that he could figure it out with dealing with his brother's death is just a level of hubris that I don't know if you want that, you know, in terms of coaching the team. Now, I do wonder, are the Bucks going to work on something that makes Mike Boonholzer say, I'm stepping away from basketball to be with my family, taking a year off, um, and do it that way? Or they move Bucks, Bud into a player, you know, director of player operations. They move him up to the front office. You know, I, I don't know if you guys watch the show Industry, but kind of what they did with Eric in that show uh, halfway through season two where they're like, all right, we're pulling you off the floor and we're bringing you upstairs. Eric sees it as sort of a condemnation of like what he's doing on the floor and sort of it says less about him. And yet that's sort of maybe what happens with Butt. And maybe that's what they do. I do worry if they move Butt up, upstairs, will he try to say, well, you have to hire Charles Lee. I kind of want a fresh start in general. Um, so we'll we'll have to continue that conversation. But like I said, we're gonna do a big thing on sort of that bucks rebuild we're not going to do a second round hater guide i will i will do that uh on wednesday's show we'll already be well into the second round with all the games but that's okay um the 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 points will still remain and maybe it, it i will be able to note like which ones i'm actually watching and which ones i just don't care about i will say spoiler alert i will probably keep more of an eye on the western conference than i will the eastern conference i'm probably watching game seven hockey over over boston and philly i might check in on boston philly but I'm I'm not necessarily watching a lot of that. All right, let's move on to the Milwaukee Brewers and wrap us up for today's show. The Milwaukee Brewers had a decent homestand. Uh, it was a bit uneven. Uh, they ended up winning. I think it was were they five and four here. Let's see. They won one against Boston. They won one against Detroit, and they won two against no, Four and five. Four and five homestand is not exactly great. It does kind of even out the West Coast trip, right? So they were seven and three on the West Coast, and they're now four and five. So eleven and eight in your last almost twenty games. There, that's not bad. Um, that's good. That's above five hundred baseball. You'll take that. You're they keep pace with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, Pirates have been just a wagon. I am looking forward to fading the Pirates though. Um, they've played a lot of bad teams, and I think that at least needs to be recognized that the Pirates aren't exactly playing the creme de la creme here in the first month of August. Or April, excuse me. Like, good for them, but yeah, it's, they're a little bit inflated with who they've played so far. A little bit like Tampa Bay as well. Like, Tampa Bay's played the White Sox twice. They played the A's. Like, Tampa Bay's gotten fat off some bad teams. Now, they played well against Houston, um, but I, I don't know how good Houston is this year. Uh, they at least struggled out the gate so far. They're just kind of middling. They've had a lot of injuries and stuff like that. So, that's here and are there. But back to the Brewers, uh, I was able to see Shohei Otani and Mike Trout in person yesterday. Uh, Murph graciously got us tickets, which was awesome. Um, we were we were sitting very close. Uh, we were like eight rows uh, behind Trout and Otani. Seeing the Otani home run um, from that view was absolutely incredible. Um, I wish I kind of had it on uh, on my phone. I know that that's you know everyone's like, whoa, live in the moment, and I was. And I had to pee, um, and I was like, I am not peeing. I was gonna get a bite to eat. I was like, nope. I am waiting until after Otani and Trout just in case they do something awesome. And sure enough, Otani hits a massive home run. I thought it was going to scrape the top of the roof. It was that high. It was, an, uh, it was something I have really never seen in baseball. And it was so cool. Like, it was just awesome. And even though it happened against the Brewers, I was like, I don't really care. Like, it's a, it, it was so great. And to have that moment is an all-timer. Sam saw it. it was really fun and really exciting. And man, what a shot by Shohei. And to see that in person was great. Trout struck out three times. He had two home runs the night before. Uh, but it, but even I mean, Trout, I mean, again, he didn't do anything in this game, but just to see how, he, how hard he swings the bat is unreal, right? Like he just swings the bat so hard with such velocity. And from where we were sitting, you could see that. You could feel that. You could, like, it, it almost felt like a faint. That's how hard he swung that bat. So, yeah, I, if you're somehow not in Milwaukee and you're listening and you have a uh, baseball team and Otani and o- 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 Trout are coming to town, go see them. Like, it's must see. It doesn't matter, like, just get a ticket, go see those guys play. Like, it, it is a sort of out-of-body experience. And it's cool for Brewers fans that, you know, Trout on Saturday hit two home runs. I think I saw someone say like kind of best best of both worlds, right? You, you had the Brewers win, but you all saw two home runs from Mike Trout, like perfect way to do baseball. And then yesterday, you see all townie home, home runs. So yeah, I feel bad for the Friday people because they didn't see either, but two out of three games, you kind of got your money's worth with these two guys. And it's really special. Um, and baseball's lucky to have them. And I'm glad you know people came out for it. They were a big crowd on Saturday, uh, Friday, Sunday. Sunday, you had a decent crowd at 33,000, but really good crowd on Saturday, so that was cool too. Uh, let's do Golden Kegs for the homestand overall. We've been a little slacking on Golden Kegs. Uh, for those who are unfamiliar, or new to the program, uh, I think we just talk about the best and worst players. From usually we do series uh, for the Brewers, but this is now. The Red Sox, Tigers, and, a, and Angels series, you know, all rolled into one. So we picked the best, I thought, and the worst. So we go five kegs best, one keg worse. Five kegs to Rowdy Telez. I thought Rowdy had a great week. Um, he really played well. Uh had multiple big hits, you know, the one on Friday. I uh, had a home he had home to try to get the team back into the game. Uh, Rowdy's been playing really really well right now uh, and his slow start is a thing of the past and that's really good to see uh, you worried a little bit was Rowdy regressing was Rowdy sort of getting back to what he had been for his career and it turns out no way um, Rowdy's Rowdy's really seeing the ball well and you just love that and I think it's fun too that he's played so well at home because you you just, that's a good, like, fan thing. Because it's like, okay, Rowdy does. We're going to expect to see, you know, a home run out of him. But, yeah, Rowdy, Rowdy really played played well all throughout the weekend. Um, he's just, you know, an awesome dude, too. I mean, he had the moment yesterday when they kept throwing back to him. He's like, why are you throwing at me? I'm fat. Like, that was so crazy. Cool. Like, that's so, that's so awesome, you know, out of Telez. But yeah, he, he's played really well. Uh, overall now, eight home runs out of the year, uh, 247 average, but a OBP of 333 and an OPS of 885. So pretty good shit for Rowdy so far this year. Four kegs, I got a couple. of Wade Miley uh, deserves some love. I, I think what Wade Miley has done this season has been extraordinary. Uh, my dad has been banging the drum that we never should have let Wade Miley go. And I was like, Dad, I mean, he's been he's been pretty banged up from, like, 19 to 22. Like, it's not like Wade Miley was this fucking all-star, you know, after we let him go. And he's like, well, I don't care. Like, he he helps the clubhouse so much. And, like, my dad basically has, has made it known that Wade Miley is the linchpin of this baseball team. I don't know if I agree with that. Um, I know he's done some things to, like – help people, you know, make it a little more inclusive. And, you know, he, he's, like, giving away, like, champagne when first big moments and stuff like that. And they, they're they kind of doing more team-building shit. But, yeah, Wade Miley, Wade Miley's playing well, man. Like, he had a good start against Boston, you know, four hits allowed, two runs earned. And then against the Angels on, on Friday, he allowed seven hits, only one run. Again, he's not striking out a ton of guys, but it doesn't matter. I mean, he's just been... Terrific! You know, through five games this season, he's three and one with a 187, 186 ERA. He's been as reliable as anybody in the Brewers pitching. He's been, you could argue, he's been more reliable than Corbin Burns. And some of the Brewers definitely need, you know, without having Brandon Woodruff. Now the news on Woodruff was really good and that's encouraging. It sounds like now timetable is like late June. Um, so that's awesome. And, you know, the sooner the better, for Woody, um, but as long as you know Wade Miley can keep this up, I realize there is a fear that this might not be sustainable. I get that. Um, at some point, there might be some little bit of regression. But as if even if Wade Miley's a three, you know, three-three ERA guy, like I, I think you'll take that any day of the week. Another 4 k guy is William Contreras. I thought this was a really good homestand stand for Contreras. I felt like Contreras sort of, you know, made his presence sort of felt. Uh, he's been he's been hitting the ball really nicely. You know he's he got his first home run of the year. Uh, he's hitting 295. But yeah, he had a couple games this on this trip where he had two hits. You know he had the two hit game against Boston on Friday. He also had the two hit game against Detroit in a loss that included a, included a home run. Uh, he was able to have two RBIs on Saturday. He took a, one of them was via a walk, but. Solid, solid stuff from Contreras. He actually has an RBI in three of his last four games. So definitely playing the role of run producer. Uh, I think I'm not going to necessarily worry too much about the lack of power. Um, I I think that'll just come. He needs to get the ball in the air a little bit more. Um, That's my only probably beef right now with Contreras. But other than that, like it's it's the returns are solid. He's playing really well, and I think the homers will come. I'm not worried about that. Um, you know, maybe you know just needs that jet stream, needs that warm air to get going. We've seen guys in the past have that, like Ramos Ramirez, right? Where it was like June 1st, and Ramos Ramirez turned into this, you know, Babe Ruth type player. And so yeah, maybe that's maybe that's what's needed. We don't know. Um, three kegs. Brian Anderson. God, Brian Anderson was all over the place. Like Brian Anderson had some really good games. He had the Sunday. He had two home runs in that debacle game against Boston. He drove in a couple runs in the Wednesday game against Detroit, um, and it was really solid. But then he was awful in some other games. Like he was awful yesterday. Struck out three times. I know he got a hit, but he was awful on Friday as well. Like he's just that. It's a very high variance player. Like either you get you know a couple hits and he's a run producer, or you get strikeouts. It, Seems like Brian needs to work on that a little bit. There needs to be a little more consistent consistency. I still, you know, I think the Brewers have gotten great value out of Anderson already throughout a month of having him as a brewer. But there just needs to be a little more consistency with what Brian Anderson does. Uh, two kegs, Colin Ray. Uh, Colin Ray did have nine strikeouts on s- Sunday, but he's, you know, he's struggled. He's, he's looked like Colin Ray, right? And after that awesome San Diego start, You know, he walked up four guys, gave up a key three-run homer in the Detroit game, and then he gave up two home runs in this game on Sunday. Now, granted, the Brewers didn't do anything for him offensively. That's not really Colin Ray's fault. You could make that case. You know, the Brewers scored, combined two runs in two games for Ray as he was pitching. But I think you should look at Adrian Hauser. It sounds like Adrian Hauser's ready to come back. I personally would go with Adrian Hauser at the starting rotation versus Colin Ray. Maybe give these guys a day off, bump them back, and let Hauser Hauser get a start here. Um, I'm trying to think of other guys that you would say send him down bullpen wise. Like Elvis Peguero, who didn't make the list for for me, is not a guy that I'm like immediately like. Yeah, we got to get rid of him. He's struggling. I he did give up a, a homer to Trout, but he's some good moments here. So it's really hard to look at the pitchers and be like, oh yeah, we, we need to send you know Peguero down. I think Jake Cousins has been okay. I don't really think you need to send down Jay Cousins. I, I really, Tyson Miller looked all right. Um, granted, he hasn't pitched a ton, but I look at that and I would probably send out Colin Wright and just that's Adrian Hauser. And then decide if you want to make Hauser a starter yet again and do that for, God, I don't know. This has been maybe the third or fourth time we've tried Adrian Hauser as a starter, but why not? Fourth, fourth time's a charm. Woodkeg uh, I'll give that bull, bullpen blow up on Sunday. I didn't get to talk about that because of all the things happening Bucks related, but yeah, that was an absolute fucking mess um, uh, last Sunday. The Brewers obviously addressed it, which was great. Uh, Matt Bush got the Jeff Supon, uh DL stint, and now try to figure out what's wrong with Matt Bush's shoulder. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes to the pitching lab and they sort of try to figure out you know what's wrong with Matt Bush and see if they can fix it for the rest of the year. I hope, I hope that's the case. I will. Uh, look at that with cautious optimism and then Javier has gotten sent sent back to Tampa Bay uh, they ended up bringing in Trevor Miguel uh, Taylor's brother who's been struggling with the twins so we'll have to see what what's there we'll see if the Brewers can kind of figure out they obviously must see something I mean he's like a 13 ERA in AAA so they obviously see something in Trevor that they like and that they can fix and I'll trust them, right? Like Bryce Wilson, I know he gave him a home run shout, but like Bryce Wilson has been really fucking good, and I never felt like I would say that. I was like, why are why are the Brewers considering Bryce Wilson for their bullpen? And he's been kind of an integral part so far, so um, I, I have to at least at least factor that in uh, for th- my thinking around the Brewers. They have off today, and then they will be in Colorado this week playing the Rockies. So we'll see how that goes for them. All right, that does it for our packed Monday show. We will be back um, on Wednesday, solo pod. We'll talk about the love option. We'll maybe talk about the rebuild stuff. Uh, We'll get into that. And then Mitch and I on Thursday, we'll do a lot about the bucks and sort of how how you fix the bucks. Um, That'll be our focus of our conversation. And then Friday, I'll be back by myself and wrap up the week. See you look ahead to the weekend. Maybe talk about the allure of the Kentucky Derby, because uh, that's this weekend. Uh, and sort of talk about, you know, what, how we all just decided to become horse racing experts for a couple of weeks. Which is fun, honestly. And, uh, yeah, we'll get, in, we'll get into all of that uh, for the rest of this week. Make sure to follow along on social. I'll be there hanging out. I'll be watching the Brewers with you guys. And Tabby the Keg on Twitter. And Tabby the Keg Sports on Instagram as well as TikTok. So, We'll talk to you guys there, and uh, we'll talk again on this podcast on Wednesday. Take care. Have a good one. Bye.